Hello and welcome to another episode of Below the Fold. This is episode 14 in season 5. I think I think we're at 114 episodes, Brandon. It's a lot. Do you think I should mention that in every episode? I don't think the people care. Yeah, I don't think they do either. Maybe I'll just take no that out. No one's keeping count. Uh, I'm keeping count. And they can just look at their phone and Actually, last week I said it was 512 and I was wrong, so I had to take that out. Mm. Anyway. So there we go. We're creating more work for ourselves. Okay, so we are approximately, we're, we're right around halfway through the season. We've got about uh, 10 more episodes this season before we take our summer break. And in this episode, we actually have another repeat guest, Chris Daly. What's up, man? I'm excited to be back here. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris Daly came on our show. He was on our 13th episode of ever. So January 8th, 2016 was actually the date it was published. So we probably had him on a few days before that. It's been over three years, Chris, since you've been on the show. We've switched studios a couple times since then. Uh, what have you been up to? What are you doing? You were at Daily Conversion. You owned your own company. And now you're working for the man. Like t- In the last three <laughs> years, what, what are some of the significant changes that have happened? Yeah. So in 2016, so it must have been a few months after we did the episode, I um, actually merged my company with uh, another digital marketing agency called Disruptive Advertising. Um, They were a PPC agency, so just focused on Google and Facebook ads. Um, And one of the challenges that I had as I was focusing on conversion rate optimization for a long time was... um, You can optimize a website all day long, but if you're getting the wrong traffic... um, it's, it's hard to really make an impact if you're getting the wrong people to the website. And conversely, one of the challenges Disruptive had is they could send all of the best kind of traffic to a website, but if the website didn't convert, uh, you know, then you can't do much on the PPC side of things. And so it just That's made right. a lot of sense to merge companies. We had a, a great uh, fusion between the two companies and and we've grown like crazy over the last few years. So when I went over to Disruptive in 2016, we had about 30 employees. Um, and this month, I think we're over 150. So we've had just crazy growth in the last few years. Yeah, that's true. So they had a CRO team before you got there. They did. Why are you smiling? <laughs> uh, I think they did actually. You're joking, but I think they did. I I don't know if I want to put this in the episode, though. (laughs) We had a lawsuit actually from the guy that was canned. Oh, you're kidding. No, not kidding. Uh, Not we. Jake had a lawsuit. So, anyways. We, yeah, you weren't a part of it. We disruptive, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so so you merged with, uh, was it a merger or an acquisition? Um, It was an acquisition, I think we would call it. Okay, so, so they purchased Daily Conversion just a few months after our last episode. And since then, You've, I mean, almost your entire wardrobe right now is disruptive advertising. So does that mean that you're, you're happy working there? I love it. You're, there like, is you're n- like a walking billboard right now. <laughs> there's not a day that goes by that I regret that. There's not a day that goes by that I regret moving over to disruptive. Okay. Um, it, it was, it was a hard decision. I mean, going from running your own agency and doing your own thing to, like you said, working for the man again, um, there is a major trade off. And there's some, there's some positives and there's some challenges that come with that. I mean, the positives obviously are you're not the only person, you know, the, the weight of the entire company is no longer on your shoulders. Um, there, there's now shared burden. Um, they also had a much larger agency than I did. And so um, it, was, it was nice to kind of plug into a, a system that was maybe a little bit more refined than what I had. Um, then, of course, there's, there's the trade-off of you no longer call all the shots by yourself. But one of the things that I have loved shared with, responsibility, right? But one of the things that I have loved is uh, when I when I moved over to Disruptive, we basically kept um, you know daily conversion intact inside of Disruptive, and I've continued to kind of grow it as an, as a business inside of Disruptive. So it's been a fun a fun opportunity for me. What kind of car did you drive three years ago? <laughs> um, I. Even uh, probably a year ago, I drove a, a 2006 Honda Civic with, uh, I think, 250,000 miles on it. Wow. 
<laughs> and now you're in a brand new Audi. What is that? S8 or something S5. like that? S5. <laughs> is, there, is there even an S8 out there? Yeah, there's, uh, there's there the is. R8. Oh, that's, Iron right, Man the R, drives. that's right. That's uh, true. That's, that's probably what it is. <laughs> okay. So, so business must be booming then. Is that... Things have gone extremely well over the last few years. Yeah, <laughs> no, good for you, man. Good for you. Okay, so to outline this episode a little bit, um, I, I so that's kind of Chris Daly over the last three years. Lots of changes, positive changes. Things are going really well. You, you speak a lot at conferences on podcasts. Like, how, how many conferences are you speaking in this year? Um, I think by the end of the year, I will have spoken at somewhere between four and six conferences. So that's that's lower than average, right? Um, that's that, about, that about what right I target is at least once per quarter. Um, and so it just kind of depends on what the conferences are. There are some that I decide not to speak at, um, for various reasons, and, you know. So schedule. I thought about going and trying to find, cause you recently spoke at social media marketing world, right? Is that what it was? In yeah. San Diego? Just two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I had this thought, I was like, if I had more time, I would have done it. I, I would have gone and tried to find all the like tweets that people were tweeting at the time you were speaking to see if I could see, like pull out some fun little thing, but I, I didn't do that. <laughs> that would have been cool. Yeah. It would have been cool. I, I should start doing that more. In fact, we should probably invest Brandon in some social listening tools so that when people come on, we just pull in and say, Hey, you know what the sentiment is of your personal <laughs> brand out there on the on the web? Everybody hates you. That's right. We're no, that, read through the mean tweets. Maybe I'll do that. Here's a fun little I like segment. That. Sentiment <laughs> analysis on uh, on each of our guests live on the I show. Love that. We'll have you on okay. again to do it. <laughs> okay, so here here's what I'm thinking. You came on just over three years ago. Uh, it was actually a pretty cool episode. Uh, we asked you several questions. Like we wanted to learn about conversion rate optimization, best practices, how to talk to your you know, clients or your boss about the importance and the impact and what type of testing and all that other stuff. Uh, part of the show I wanna dedicate to kind of, so I grabbed some clips. We're gonna list some clips from uh, the episode three years ago. And I, wa I wanna ask you what has changed, if anything, since that time to now. So before I dive in, generally speaking, how much has changed in the CRO industry in the last three years? Well, in the CRO industry itself, um, there are new tools that are available. So, I mean, so, something that's been a big hype in the digital marketing space in general is, you know, artificial intelligence, AI. And there's been a few, a few tools that have tried to, uh, to varying degrees of success, um, implement artificial intelligence technology into CRO. Um, so there, there has been some development there. Um, and I say with varying success because, um, there is a cool new tool out there called sentient that is a, um, genetic mutations, uh, company. It's the largest, uh, genetic AI backed company on the planet, um, that developed a CRO tool using genetic mutation algorithms to create CRO, basically giant multivariate tests. So in sounds an, like a science fiction film. Yeah, it does. I know. And it, and it kind of is because what they do is in a normal AB test, uh, for CRO, you'll test a versus B or a versus B versus C versus D, you know, right. whatever. Um, then you can have multivariate tests, which a normal multivariate test without getting too complex is like, okay, we've got a B and C. We're going to test a combination of A, A and B, A and C, B and C, you know, all yeah. the combinations, Yeah. right? Um, How many combinations are there with three variations? Well, it's, it's three squared, so you got nine variations, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying this with uh, as much confidence as so I can muster. With, so. with a little right. bit of confidence. Yeah. Um, uh, but with, with what, what Sentient does that's kind of interesting is they take, um, they take mutations of variations. So let's say that you, you put in there and you originally have nine possible combinations. Well, what they will do is they will find the top winning combinations and then they will try combinations of combinations. So they'll basically run your original test and then a follow-up test and then a follow-up test as many times as they possibly can until they find the ultimate, uh, combination. Right. Right. And so, um, some of the tests that I've seen that they've run have like a hundred thousand I don't remember what they call them, but a uh, hundred thousand child elements that, that mutated. 
Um, and so they only run these obviously for very, very large companies. But so anyways, there, there's some cool stuff that's happening in the CRO space in general though. Um, I would say strategies, the types of things that work well are similar, um, you know, in, in terms of how I approach things. Now, I'm actually curious to hear what I said three years ago, because maybe I have radically different ideas than I did then. But the, the concept yeah, it's, it's hard to quantify how much has changed in that amount of time because right. you're not really measuring it. Like right. you're not keeping track of that. So, yeah, that that will be interesting. But the concepts are the same, which is you want to learn what what people want to see on a website. Right? So I will say this three years ago, we were not talking about AI, not just in CRO, but anywhere. AI yeah. was not something we were talking about. So interesting, um, quick story, since you brought up AI, a couple weeks ago, Brandon and I were actually at uh, 97 floors conference called mastermind and they had the CMO of lucid chart come and speak. And his was pretty much the, the whole presentation was about creating a culture of experimentation within the, you know, on the team or whatever. And I guess at lucid chart, that's, that's all they do is they just test. And it's not just like on page testing, they're testing videos and I mean, so all, all they're doing is testing, right? So that goes beyond just CRO. That's the, the whole culture of and mindset of, of testing and experimenting different campaigns. Well, he, uh, bringing it back to CRO, he shared an example where on their pricing page, you have the bullet points of what each plan allows you right in, in each option or whatever. And, uh, someone suggested they just put AI uh, as a bullet point on one of the plans. <laughs> and, and, and he said, like, we ran it past our engineering team and said, hey, like, technically, can we say this and is it true? And they said, yeah, technically, that's true. There's so, an algorithm in there somewhere. Somewhere, right? So, <laughs> so they felt comfortable putting the little bullet point. And he said that alone, right? So just a little bullet point that says AI something or other um, increased the amount of clicks that that plan got. Fascinating. By, I don't remember what the percentage was, 13%. They still have it up. Yeah, they still do. It uh, says chart AI they have. Yeah, and that's all it is. And so he mentioned that there have been studies out there, which is where it's these studies out there that made them think, oh, let's throw AI on there, where all you have to do is put the word AI on the page. And that like, that's where people want. That's what people want now. They want AI, regardless of whether or not it's truly AI, right? Because it's not just AI people are using. People also say machine learning. Yep. Uh, which really is just like nomenclature, right? You just like changed <laughs> right. how you're saying the same thing. We used to say algorithm. It's not algorithm anymore. Mm -hmm. It's machine learning, right. it's artificial intelligence. So I thought that was interesting. It's just slap, slap an AI sticker on whatever you're doing and, <laughs> and you'll get more. Well, it's kind of like people used to use big data as, a, as yeah. a, that was the buzzword probably three years ago. Yeah, that's true actually. <laughs> and I will say the same thing about AI that I that I m might have said about big data three years ago, which is it's it's mostly a buzzword. Yeah. Um, in general, uh, AI. I mean, people go into a panic mode of AI is going to take over the planet. It's going to take over everybody's jobs. Like all all digital marketing is going to be in two years is is just managing AI systems. And I don't think I think that's a bunch of crap. Uh, I think we've had an episode on that actually. On AI? AI and like whether or not we should be worried about our jobs being replaced. Yeah. I mean, there's always that topic of marketers being automated out of positions, but I don't think we're close. The new systems that get that. created have to be managed by somebody. Just evolves. Right. Yeah. yeah anyways, true. we don't have to spend a whole episode talking about that, but no, we're definitely not Chris. <laughs> we're not going to talk about that. Okay. So, um, great. So that's kind of your thoughts on the changes. So the strategies and stuff haven't really changed, but the technology is changing and getting more advanced. And yep. Um, okay, so let's get into. Did you have some, Brandon? I do have a something came to mind. I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, uh, and you list. So you have A/B tester, CRO speaker, evangelist. But the first word you have on there is neuromarketer. Explain what neuromarketing is, because when I look it up, I kind of get different definitions. Yeah, tell us, tell us about that buzzword, Chris. Because, yeah, tell <laughs> it us is about a buzzword. <laughs> I put it on there and I get like 15% more conversions. <laughs> I was, so, was going to ask yeah. you if you've uh, <laughs> tested into your LinkedIn profile. No, honestly, one of the reasons I put it in my profile is because I love talking about it and people ask me about it all the time. Oh, well, um, <laughs> hey, this is a perfect platform. <laughs> there we go. So, yeah. Um, basically, what neuromarketing is, is it is the pairing of psychology and marketing, right? Like neuro being like how the brain works and, and then marketing. And so, 
to me, like I was mentioning earlier, what CRO is at its essence, at its core, is you are trying to learn what makes people, what, what drives people to make decisions on the internet, specifically on your website. And so a really good CRO is somebody that understands and, and incorporates into their strategies um, understanding how the human brain works. What are the types of things that drive people to make decisions? Getting beyond just saying like, well, let's test a bigger button versus a smaller button, diving deeper into what is it that somebody might be looking for here? What is the type of messaging messaging that's going to resonate? What's the type of value propositions that are going to resonate? And why does that resonate? And you know, what are they expecting when they come to this page? And what are they going to be expecting when they leave this page? And how can I help influence and shape their experience on the web? It's, it is a very um, psychology-based industry. Um, and so it's, I think it's important just to mention that uh, when anytime you talk about doing conversion rate optimization. So when it, I was going to say, when it comes to the psychology then of, like, or understanding the psychology of, of users, are you learning mainly by looking at, like after running lots of experiments and tests, you're looking at large sets of data and saying, okay, these are the trends. So these are how, this is how people are thinking. Or are you taking separate time to actually study like actual psychology type stuff? Yes. So both. Um, it's, it's important the, the challenge is just looking at data and drawing some insights, like, you know, analyzing the data. There's not really any psychology to that. It's just data analysis. It's like, well, this is clearly better than this. Uh, where the psychology comes in is when you ask why, why is it better? Why did this resonate better? Right. And then you start to dig deeper into it. If it's like, well, maybe this resonated better because the messaging was bigger. Okay, well, why would that resonate? Okay, well, maybe our demographic has a hard time reading, or maybe it maybe it stood out more, and so it drew more visual attention there. Or you know, maybe this particular thing is the most important thing to them. And so you can what you can do is you can start to now draw conclusions and and run follow up tests to say, okay, well, if if our theory is that this that making this text bigger on the page worked better because it's the most important thing on the page then maybe we should just take everything else off the page, right? Or maybe we should move everything else off, uh, you know, to a lower position on the page. Or maybe, you know, again, let's let's dig deeper into that hypothesis and figure out, is that actually the case? And if that's not the case, that it's the most important thing on the page, then we can go down a different rabbit hole of, okay, if it's not the most important thing on the page to our users, and this particular thing doesn't seem to resonate better, then why else might this have worked, right? Why is it important to, to ask why? In other words, if the data is telling you that one is better over the other, how is knowing the why going to help you get more sales? Yeah, well, so it's it's not in that specific test, but asking why is the only way to have an effective ongoing CRO strategy. Because otherwise, what you end up with is what most companies do. So when most companies run A-B tests, what they do is they have some idea, and it might be a good idea or a bad idea. I mean, any idea almost... Um, depending on how much traffic you get is is worth testing. But, hmm. um, you know, you have the CEO that comes in and says, I think we should slap a picture of me on every page of the site. Um, and you go, okay, sure, let's run a test. You run an A-B test and it works. So you go, cool, that worked. Let's put it on the site. We'll move on, right? And you didn't really learn anything. All you did is you maybe you have a page that's converting slightly better now. But if you ask that why, why did this work better? Okay, well, maybe it gives a personal feel to our brand. Maybe people know who our CEO is. And so there's some facial recognition there or some name recognition or whatever. What you can do with that is then you can, you can utilize that concept to run other successful tests. So you're saying that it helps with future ideation of testing. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah. Does that satisfy your question, Brandon? That satisfies. What I imagine you, you have like, you have the classic button color, right? Which it's like the common thing that people go to with A-B testing, like red, blue, green. You run a test where, okay, the green button performed better. That doesn't necessarily mean that green buttons are going to now perform. Right. You can't stand in front of a conference and be like, guys, green is actually the color you need to do because you're not really understanding the why did green perform well in that particular right. test. And that helps you apply Spe it to Speaking of psychology, why do people always go to button color when talking about CRO? That's I, always the example. That's why I brought it up, but I don't know. 
I, I think it gets brought up because people have very, it's kind of a polarizing test concept because a lot of people hate the idea of testing button color. I mean, even in the CRO industry, it's sort of a debated topic. Some people make fun of it as, as like the basest, most simplistic, stupid test that you could possibly run. Um, and some people have run the test in enough different circumstances and found enough different winners that they go, no, it's worth testing. But again, it all comes down to the why are you testing it? And this is why there's a lot of debate in the CRO industry is because most CROs see other companies testing it because they can't think of anything else to test, right? And so it's like, if that's the only test idea that you have, you shouldn't even be doing A-B testing is how a lot of people view button color tests. Now, that's not what I necessarily think because I think that any test that you run, if you're trying to test, then, then you know, that's better than not testing at all. Um, you don't have to be an expert to run A-B tests. And if all you can think of is to run an, is to run a button color test, that's fine. As long as what you don't do is what I see a lot of companies do, which is let's run a button color test. Oh, it didn't work. All right. Well, I guess we tried the A-B testing thing or it worked. Okay. Like what, you know, Brandon was just saying, let's, let's put green, green buttons on every page. All right, we're done. You know? So yeah. that's, that's where the, I think the challenge comes. Okay. Let's uh let's let's uh go into the past. Let's get into the little time machine and hear what Chris Daly, little younger Chris Daly has to say about some stuff. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you the questions we asked then. We're going to get your answer present day and then we'll see what your your younger self said. Is that cool? That's cool. All right, man. So we've we've actually discussed some some of this, but what are the biggest misconceptions about about CRO? If you were to give two of the biggest misconceptions, what would they be? Well, I think the first biggest misconception that I hear all the time is that A-B testing is just making a change this week and then comparing it to data from last week, right? So I just pushed this change on my site and then I compared my data to last week or last month or last year or whatever, uh, which is not A-B testing at all. That's just making changes. <laughs> yeah, um, that's like, yeah, that's normal stuff. Right. Uh, so that I, I would say that's the first misconception that I hear frequently. And I would say probably the second, like they're not testing variations or, or they make a change to a hundred percent of their site or, or sorry, I'm, I'm not communicating this well. So they have one page, they make one change that goes to all traffic and right. they compare the results to a post change to previous change. Exactly. Okay. Right. Yeah, so yeah. it's not a split. You're not splitting traffic during the same time period, you are just carte blanche making changes yep. and then comparing data. So people so, do that oh, all the time. A lot. Okay. I, somebody just told me that the other day at lunch that, that their company did that. Like they were, they were making fun of their company or, or that, or, or they were saying, Oh yeah, we, we do AB testing. We don't need your help. And then uh, they, no, <laughs> no. The, the person was saying that they redesigned their entire site and just launched it and it went terribly. Oh, you're talking about me. I'm talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's true. Uh, but our intention was not to split right. test. No, but no, you're no. right. Yeah, you're right. yeah, yeah no, we no. did that. I, I wow, it. that was. Oh, yeah, that was a subtle stab right, no. right in the gut. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we could spend a whole episode talking about right. that. Make sure to edit that out. No, um. I'm keeping that one in, baby. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so that's one. Do you have at least one other? Um, yeah, so I, I would say probably the, the other biggest misconception is that CRO is just changing button colors. Um, and, and I, and I say that because people who usually the people that say that are trying to justify not doing CRO by saying, well, that's, it's just a bunch of button color changes and that's not what CRO is. And if that's what you think CRO is, then you don't know what it, I mean, you don't know what CRO is, um, and so, you know, like I mentioned earlier, CRO at its essence is learning what people want to see on your website. And so there's no reason that any company should not be doing that um, because nobody has the perfect website. There's no such thing as the perfect website, as the perfect converting website. Because by the time you have a website that converts awesome, there's some new change in your audience behavior, in general website yeah, it's, behavior. It's like saying digital marketing has an end. Or right, exactly. SEO or PPC or whatever, right? Exactly. People are always going to be searching for a specific product and they're always going to have, like, like you said, the audience changes, behavior changes, intent changes. Uh, so you're. I uh, knew that was going to happen. Your <laughs> microphone coming on. I saw it just dangling off. Well, of it. I'm like, how about a little warning, Brian? Looks, well, I, 
I just figured it was an illusion, maybe. Oh, boy. <laughs> Freaking Brandon, what kind of co-host are you? Well, I don't know how to tell you that without like, interrupting the flow. I'm like, hold that great thought. Your microphone may be about to fall off. <laughs> I don't realize how much I touched this thing. All right, so you shared two common misconceptions. The first one was... Let's recap. Tell me again. <laughs> so the first one remember? is that just making carte blanche changes oh, and then comparing right. last week to this week is an A-B test. Yeah. So that's not, that's a misconception. That is not CRO. And the and other, other is just that. that, is that CRO is just changing button colors. Okay. Here we go. I'm going to pull up this uh, clip here and see what you said three years Can't ago. Can't wait to hear it. One of the first challenges that a lot of people have when they try to do A-B testing is they, again, like you mentioned, they think that it's going to be a simple, quick, easy thing to set up. Uh, for example, testing button text. Um, one of the challenges that people have, though, is they don't think through what happens if this test succeeds. What, what's, an, what's our overall strategy here? So people view conversion rate optimization as a one-time test. Uh, and so I think that's one of the first misconceptions that people have about conversion optimization, is viewing it as a one-time thing. Another challenge that a lot of companies have is they look at it as a way to validate their point of view. So I've seen this happen a lot in executive meetings where one executive will say, our new website needs to look like this. And the other executive will say, I think it needs to look like this. And they'll say, well, let's take it down to an A-B test and let's see what our audience responds to. Would you say those uh, are pretty common still to this day? Absolutely. So I was very wise three years ago. Yeah, you sound the exact same too. That's crazy. <laughs> Still like I'm 12 years old. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the first one was uh, one and done testing, right? And you mentioned that actually, I don't know, 10 minutes ago where people do one test and then, uh, in fact, the example you gave was the green button and it doesn't work. And they're like, all right, well, we, we gave CRO test or a, a shot and it didn't work, so it's not for us. So that's one misconception that you shared was it's not about one test. It's ongoing forever. You should always, always, always have a conversion rate optimization strategy. The second one, which actually is my favorite and people's opinions, giving their opinion as though it's fact, right? Yeah. So I, I, I actually thought about this after I re-listened to it and I was like, you know, it's true. So it technically is a split test. It's an A-B test. If one person says, let's do something and another person says, let's do something and you say, okay, let's test that. But what it's doing is it's limiting your ability to uh, to find something that's potentially better. Exactly. Right. Yep. So so and what you've probably learned in your experience is that executives, when it comes to testing elements on a page, are dumb. <laughs> is that right? In general, in general. yes. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any examples? Do you want to share? <laughs> Uh, okay. So those are the two misconceptions that you shared, uh, three years ago. And, and let me just, let me, let me actually add on to what I had said three years ago, because what I see happen a lot, I mean, almost every company on the planet is doing some kind of a website redesign. Almost always, I would say out of the hundreds of clients that we work with, at least 50% of them at any given time are talking about doing a website redesign are in the process of doing a website redesign or are about to launch a website redesign. And the challenge with that is that most companies only come up with one idea. And that's the idea that they test, that's the idea that they go with. And like you mentioned, the challenge there is that if all you're testing is one idea, you probably are leaving a lot of other potentially good ideas off the table. Um, and so you, you'll never know if that new website worked better because it was the best design or if you you know, just if you had one of many good ideas and that was, you know, you, you missed out on a better one. You know what I've actually experienced at Vivint is this will happen a lot too. We're in a, we're in a group setting in a meeting and someone's like, well, we should do this. And someone else is like, no, we should probably do this. And you know what the cop out answer is? Oh, let's just test it. Yep. Right. And then someone will just say that, Hey, let's test it. And you know what happens? It completely shuts the conversation down. <laughs> It's like, and it never gets tested. So either it gets tested or it doesn't get tested, but guess how much follow-up there is? Zero. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Oh, let's just test it. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's move on. When yeah. in reality, there's like a really good vibe and conversation going where yeah. you could have some critical thinking and, and maybe work through why, the why, right? Why, why do you think that's better? Why do you think this is right. better? Where, yep. do, where does that come from? Why do you think that's beneficial? And all that conversation that could happen is completely shut down when someone's just like, oh, yeah, just test it. It's like, okay, yeah, I guess we can test it. 
But then, yeah, I never hear about it again, ever. Yep. Like, I never know what the outcome was of that. <laughs> so it's just, it's just a killer of creativity. Okay, you want to go on to the next question? Was that fun for you, hearing that over? Uh, yeah, I love that. <laughs> I was trying to read your facial expressions, and, and you kind of kept a straight face. So <laughs> Poker face. <clears throat> okay, so the next question we asked, uh, this may not be in chronological order, I don't know was uh what should be what should people be testing so you mentioned the things they shouldn't be testing what are the things that they should yeah so i i would say a few critical concepts that you have to test number one is your value proposition what out of many value propositions that your business has which every business has at least a dozen of unique selling propositions or why is your business worth working with out of all of those value propositions, which one or two or three resonate best with your audience? And and how should you feature those on your site? All right. So if you're an e-commerce company, um, you offer free shipping and made in the USA products and you know high quality products and free returns and whatever, all these different things that you could classify as a value proposition. Yeah. People don't buy because of all of those value propositions. They typically buy because of one or two. And so you've got to test which value propositions people want to see and how. You need to test content. How much content do people want to see in order to convert? Um, how much content do people need to see? That's another one that I see people cop out on a lot because they go, well, they need all this content. Somebody is going to need all this content. So we got to you know, pander to our, our least educated person on the site. Um, and then the, the last thing that I think every company has to test is your call to actions on your site. So in other words, what is the call to action? Where is the call to action? What um, color is the call to action? <laughs> Absolutely. That should be the first test that you run no matter what. <laughs> um, no, but, but thinking about site flow is a big deal, especially when you're doing SEO, you're going to be driving a lot of traffic to your homepage. And so where do you want people to go from your homepage? Like where, what's the next best step for them to take on the site? That is absolutely call to action testing, figuring out what should we be having people do? Where should we send them and so forth? Okay. So three years ago, Mr. Daly, this is what you said to the question. What should people be testing? Really what people should be testing is everything on a page. The biggest problem that businesses have is they get blinders on. They focus on one thing and to the exclusion of everything else. So the way that I usually will help my clients think about conversion rate optimization is to immediately think in, on the dramatic scale. So I will approach companies and help them test a dramatic redesign right off the bat. Because a lot of times what companies will focus on is, we really don't like this map on this page, or we really hate the headline on this page. And they're, they're really missing some of the big picture, which is, what is the experience like on your page? How are the users able to engage? Do they find the information that they want? How easy is it to find that information? So I realized that if, if anything has changed in the last three years, it's your ability to give more specific answers. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this time you like gave very specific calls to action, uh, your value propositions, right? Those are really important things. Whereas before it was like, experience and, and uh, anything else. Is there anything you would add to that? No. Uh, and, and what I maybe want to just append to my answer from three years ago is what I'm not, what, what I was not saying, what I would not say today is you don't want to just immediately jump to a redesign in, in every case redesign. So, you, testing, so, when, so, you, so you're referencing the part where you said I would make a dramatic, uh, design right, change. Right. There are, there are cases where, where that is an appropriate first test, but um, one of the challenges is that, that that's what a lot of companies want to test always is just big, huge redesigns. Um, and maybe I just have enough experiences in the last three years that, that tell me <laughs> sometimes when you run a redesign test, you want to follow it up with a redesign test. Uh, and that's a horrible strategy because mm -hmm. then what you're doing is you're just throwing spaghetti on the wall over and over again. Um, and so it is important redesign testing new design concepts on the site has its place in a CRO strategy. And sometimes that might be at the beginning. And I still agree with what I said, which is you need to be testing everything on a site. So I did, I do remember cause you and I met, 
I mean, it was two months before this recording. So November 2015 is when, when I hired you while I was at Myriad to do a lot of testing for us. And that was the strategy. You came in and you said, it's two steps. First step, dramatic or drastic design change. And then you go into the iterative testing. Yep. And I remember you saying that uh, the iterative testing generates uh, the same amount of results or as, as dr dramatic as results as the major redesign. Uh, is, is that still the case? Do you, I mean, you're saying it's very catered to the clients or the website or the company that you're working for, but is that, is it still the case that you can see the same amount of results, uh, from iterative testing, which is the very small things, whether it's, you know, CTA or color or copy, um, as the dramatic changes? Y yes. Um, with a caveat. So testing is, it's kind of like playing a game of hot or cold, right? And really when you start testing, you don't know exactly what the hot and cold is, right? When you're testing, you're trying to find what are the conversion levers I can pull on my site? Is content a conversion lever? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I've run tests where content is everything. And I've run tests on other client sites where content is meaningless. People don't even read it. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it's about finding the conversion levers. And so there's not a one size fits all. There's not a single test that you can run to be guaranteed a huge result. Now, that being said, typically design plays a huge part in the users in, in the conversion rates on your site. And so, and so in general, it is true that testing new design concepts can have a huge impact. Um, but that is just one conversion lever that you have to pull out of many. And so it's important that like, you know, you were just saying, it's important that in the iterative testing phase, you are identifying what the specific levers are that you can pull and then pulling them as hard as you can. Hmm. If, if content's a lever, don't just run one test on your content, run as many as you possibly can until you stop seeing results. Yeah. Uh, I, I have very few memories of those days because, I mean, this is years ago and I have a terrible memory, <laughs> but I have a specific memory where I went into a meeting after one of our very first results uh, came out from one of the tests that you did, and it was like 400% increase in uh, click-throughs, and I remember everyone just being freaking like psyched out of their mind. Yep. Um, I don't know what happened. What happened there? Did you get, Did you keep working with them? Not after you left. <laughs> oh, well. Sorry about that. <laughs> I guess I guess it wasn't that impactful. Uh, uh, okay, so I only have one more clip, one more question. Okay. The question is, uh, how do you get CRO and SEO to play nicely together? Yeah, and maybe I can give a little background on that question. So one big concern that people have, and especially when it comes to testing content on a website, is content is very important when it comes to SEO rankings. And so anytime I go in and suggest to a client, hey, maybe we should remove some content, uh, clients freak out almost 100% of the time. Yeah. Um, now, if I suggest they add more content, everybody gets really excited. Sure. <laughs> um, and so what, where, the, where the optimal, um, um, I don't know how to say this, the best way to get CRO and SEO to play nicely together is to be willing SEO people be willing to test anything and just running the test isn't going to impact conversion or isn't going to impact SEO rankings right i mean google has said that they don't they don't ding people for just running an ab test i mean google has their own testing tool yeah. right and so um, is be willing to run the test don't don't shy away from running a test just cuz it might be removing content but once you see the result um, you need to understand that result. So for example, if I, if I test removing all of the content on a page and it increases conversion rates by 5%, okay, I might look at, look at that and go, it's not worth a 5% increase in conversion rates, um, to potentially sacrifice my SEO rankings. Right now, if I, if I remove all of your content and your conversion rates quadruple, then you might say, remove all of the freaking content on the whole site. If that, if it gets that kind of result, right? Like I don't care. Uh, and typically what I have seen, cause we work with a lot of, we have a, an SEO partner agency that we work with on a lot of clients together. And what we have typically seen is that when you increase conversion rates, you also increase SEO rankings cause you're increasing on site metrics, like, uh, time on site, bounce rates get better, et cetera. So. Yeah. So yeah, my comment on that would be 
and this is part of the conversation we had at lunch a few weeks ago yeah was at vivant we we were in a situation where we had to choose between higher conversion rates and less traffic or way more traffic and really poor conversion rates and obviously if 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 one balances out the other meaning if we were getting so much more traffic that the lower conversion rate still equated in greater number of leads or sales it wouldn't matter right but that that wasn't the case right the case, what was happening was when we when we launched the new website our rankings like went through the roof. We were getting tons and tons of traffic, but our conversion rate just tanked. It just tanked. And, and the amount of traffic that we increased did not make up for it. Right. So our business was struggling. So we had to go back to the old, old website. Um, so, so that's the, that's kind of where I'm coming from when I'm asking the question, how do you get them to play nicely? Which in in this case, it's like, Oh, we just need to test into it, which, which is, which is what we're doing now. But at the same time, this is what I would have told you a year ago. <laughs> yeah, I wish I wish that I had more power and, and uh, sway in how all the website stuff yeah, went down. Right, but, right, right. Uh, but 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 you're right, right? Because SEO is very content centric, um, and uh, and it's really important. So here here's what I'm going to do. Because your response to this question three years ago was um, similar but different from what you just said. So I'm, I'm going to play this. And, um, and watch out for the name dropping that goes on. All right, great for this. All right, here we go. Yeah. So I think that's, that's based on the notion that the most important factors are the content on the page. One of the things that, you know, as I've been, as I've talked with SEOs recently and, and even a conversation I had with Rand Fishkin about the future of SEO and where is SEO going, Google's increasingly looking at on-site metrics more and more. What are, what are people doing when they get to your site? Are people finding what they want? Are they clicking through? Are they engaging? Or are they is your are your bounce rates super high? So similar, right? So what was interesting here to me, and if, again, if you had continued to listen to that to that clip, uh, nobody nobody in the room, and at that time there were four of us. So you were a guest of there were five of us on the show three years ago. Uh, nobody argued with that. Um, was there anything in that clip that you disagree with right now? Um, no, I don't think there's anything I necessarily <laughs> disagree with. Well, uh, so I want to pull Brandon. So you're the CRO, you're biased towards CRO, which is fine. Uh-huh. Brandon, was there anything in that clip that you disagreed with? I don't think so. I think I, I've always been a big believer in like just user metrics yeah. and how like, yeah. And from the business side as well, if I'm going to be making more money, from uh, these optimizations and I'm going to lean that way. Of yeah, totally. So, so w- what was being said was, uh, so Paxton at the time, he, he mentioned content and then you specifically called out content and you said, you know, that's based on the idea that content has a big impact on rankings when in reality, user behavior has a greater influence on rankings. Or an equal, or, or 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 an equal, right? So uh, as I was listening to that, uh, and I remember, I remember those days, and that was like a big push. Uh, and and you brought up Rand Fishkin, and I remember that being a big push. I don't think I don't think user behavior has as much impact as we thought. I think yeah. content specifically, and, and this is the just the the topic that we were talking about specifically on the clip. I think content has a much greater impact on rankings. And and I'm seeing that right now with the same exact scenario we're in, just to give a little additional context of something that just happened last week on our website, the new website had double, at least double the amount of content on the Hmm. page, right? So we go live with the, with, and there were other changes. We changed changed the platform, we changed site speed. I mean, there were a lot of things, but content was the biggest thing. We, We more than doubled in some cases, the amount of content on the page, it was, it was well-researched, uh, and, and it was, it was rich. It was just, it was way better content and our rankings, like I, like I mentioned, went through the roof. And then when we had to revert back to the old website, our tanking, our, our, our rankings went back down. Well, we had this theory that, uh, well, let's just take the content of the new website and put mm-hmm. it on the old website. And, and we did that last week. So we took, we took, I mean, hundreds of words found space for them, redesigned the, the old current website 
and put the content on there. And, and for, uh, it's actually really interesting results for probably, I don't know, close to half of the pages. We saw the rankings go back up with Hmm. that being the only change. That's is just the content. Yeah. Uh, but in some cases, nothing happened. Yeah. So uh, there are a bunch of question marks there. We, we don't know. We know now that in certain circumstances, content was the difference. Yeah. That was the only difference, right? We, we doubled the amount of content and nothing else changed. Same platform, same URL, same everything. Uh, and rankings shot back up. And others, it did nothing. So what I'd be curious to know, because I, I suspect that that Google's algorithm favors content more heavily when they know that people are looking for content. Yeah. So like the intent behind right, their the search. Intent, yeah. Because on, on some search terms, people are not looking for content at all. Right. If they're looking for a product, for example, yeah. if they're looking for, uh, like if it's a transactional search query, they're right. looking to purchase something. They're not wanting to necessarily read, you know, paragraphs worth of. Right. Content. So I, I would just, I would suspect, and, and that's why I would be curious to look at what pages it was uh, that you were looking at or, or what search terms to see if there was a correlation there. Yeah, that's a good point. So just to give you context, we'd, and, and maybe give you a little bit of insight into, into that. The two that we focused on were the outdoor camera page and the uh, indoor camera page. Mm-hmm. So the ping page. So the outdoor camera page uh, had almost no effect. I mean, mm. nothing happened to ranking. Whereas the indoor camera, the ping one is it, it just shot up. So they're mm. both, they're both product based pages. Uh, but I, I hadn't actually thought about that. And, and now that you mention it, you know, I mean, it's the weekend, so I'm not going in the office until Monday, but come Monday, I'm going to go look at the category pages, meaning like home security, home automation, uh, smart home versus product specific and see if there is a difference there and and were they similar types of keywords on both the indoor and the outdoor they were like outdoor camera so like outdoor camera surveillance camera home security camera but then you have like uh, the other one is is more brand based too ping is a brand name it's it's what we named the indoor like um i'll have to look into it but uh at the very least you've given me some some uh food for thought. But, but the other thing that I was going to say is that I, I suspect that the, that the reverse is also true that for some types of keywords, on-site metrics are less important than others. Yeah. You're probably, um, yeah, I, yeah, I won't agree. I won't disagree with that. For and, sure. and the one other thing that I wanted to bring up too, because there is, a, I I've seen a direct correlation between traffic and conversion rates. And so I also wonder if part of the reason your, your conversion rates dipped on the new site is because you were getting more traffic. Could have. Yeah. Yeah, like like I said, this just happened last week, right, and we yeah. just barely are pulling this in. There are still a lot of things that we're just like, I don't understand what's yeah, going on. Yeah, it's really here. interesting research, though. But but that that's what, in some ways, leads me to believe content is like super, super, super important. Not not to say that user behavior isn't important, uh, but as I listen to that clip, especially with my most recent experience, I'm like, I, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if user behavior is as powerful as either we thought three years ago or we think now or whatever. Well, and I'll, and let me just maybe end this little segment off with this, with this thought, the ultimate goal of Google and CRO is the same. It is figuring out what do people want, right? Yep. Uh, Google wants to give people what they're looking for. And CRO is based on figuring out what do people want and giving them what they're looking for. And so again, in some cases that is content. And if people are looking for content, then you need to give them content. You need to give them the right content, the right amount of content, content that's formatted the right way. Yeah. Right. No, um, you're right. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. So, uh, we typically go into our last segment, which is brand new. You probably haven't heard it before. It's called digital marketing roulette. Oh, uh, yeah. so while Brandon's pulling out the roulette table and getting prepped for our, our last segment, Three years ago, we did a segment called rapid fire question. I don't know what it was called. That's just what, it, that's what we did. It was just, we just shot rapid fire questions at you and allowed you to kind of real quickly give answers. Uh, I've written, I don't have the audio clips of this, but I've written down your answers to, I don't remember five questions. I'm just going to rapid fire, give them to you again and see, see how your answers compare to three years ago. So first question, which color out of all the colors performs the best? <laughs> I will say red, red. That's what you said three years ago. I'm going to put a check mark right there. What words perform the best on buttons? Um, Something like today or, um, or some kind of possessive 
term like get or claim or something like that. Okay. So your answer three years ago was my or get. Mm -hmm. So you got get. I'll put a check mark right there. Um, Now, when using imagery or photos of people, which performs better, ugly or attractive people? Mm, It depends. Uh, (laughs) It depends. (laughs) You can't ask that question in 2019. Really? Because uh, let me tell you. Well, (laughs) I will say in general, probably attractive people. Okay. You said attractive last time. That was actually an an iterative thing. We asked a different question and you were like, well, I don't want to answer that question. So I'll just say attractive people are better than ugly people. Sure. (laughs) Uh, Pictures or no pictures? Also, it depends. I'm going to lean more in favor of pictures. I probably said no pictures. You did say no pictures. Ago. Yeah. So what's changed in the last three years to where now you lean towards the pictures? types of pictures that are used? So, okay. stock, so gen- stock I mean, this is all generally, yeah, right? Yeah. Right. You don't yeah. want stock. Pi- yes, yeah. Okay. So that's fun. I like that. That's one of the change. So at this point I asked you, uh, which race or nationality performs better than all the <laughs> others. And you chose not to answer, which I'm guessing you'll probably do again, but, but, but then you specified a specific gender. So which gender, uh, performs better? Um, well, that also depends. I know it all depends, um, Chris. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> Probably female is what I would say. Okay. So you said female. Uh, and then here's the last question, which is not rapid fire and it's, and it wasn't a part of the, uh, CRO, but which two digital marketing tactics of all of them would you choose to employ if you could only choose two? That would also depend on what kind of business it was that I was doing. If it was a service-based business like okay, I service have based. today, Boom. SEO and CRO. <laughs> SEO and CRO. Okay. So your answer three years ago was LinkedIn ads and CRO. Did I say LinkedIn ads? Huh? Yeah. You must've gone through a weird phase back then. <laughs> no. Uh, but that's interesting. Brandon, what are my two things? The two things that you would be doing. If you could only pick two, if I could only pick two, do you remember what two digital marketing tactics I would choose? Uh, and SEO we, and we did an episode about this SEO and PPC. No, it was SEO and CRO is actually ah, the exact same. It. So, okay. So we're going to, uh, that was fun for me. Was that fun for you, Chris? Absolutely. Yeah, that was fun. Okay. We're going to go into digital marketing roulette. So for those of you who don't know what this is, we've got a roulette table. Brandon's going to spin the ball. It's going to land on a number. That number corresponds with a random question, random fun question. Uh, for Chris and then every once in a while we'll, we'll climb and we'll, we'll answer it ourselves. What number did it land on? 17, 17. All right. Let's pull this up here. All right. This is a new question. New in the mix. Add it in. I'm always trying to liven things up for Jacob. What was the last documentary you watched and did you like it? I watched a documentary. I'm trying to remember what it was called. It was on the Unabomber. Um, on Netflix and it was fantastic. How long ago was that? Um, a month or two ago. I don't okay. watch a lot of documentaries, but here's, here's what I liked. They, they brought out, I did not know this. The way the unit bomber was caught was with a new field called forensic linguistics, which is the study of how people use language in their written, um, communications. Cause he used, he, he had he used like specific phrases and an order of, of ideas in a, in a way that was unique to him. And so that is how they ultimately came up with the warrant to arrest him, which if he had challenged probably would have been thrown out because it was, there was no precedence for it, but I thought that was fascinating. That is interesting. I'll, you don't remember what it's called. I could probably find it by yeah. Googling Unabomber, Unabomber deca- de- documentary. <laughs> What about you, Brandon? What was your last uh, documentary? I want to say it was Free Solo. You seen that? Oh, Rock I did. Climber. I a did lot of see that. Recommended that. It was very good. Probably the best documentary ever I've ever watched. Really? I mean, yeah, it was pretty good. Your palms sweat oh, literally the entire dripping time. sweat. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I, I can't believe people do that. Yeah, that's nuts. He climbed El Capitan, Free Solo. No one else has ever done it ever, before or after. He's the only person who has ever done it. Yep. Dude, people die doing that all the time. You are the third person that has recommended that documentary like in the last week. Yeah, man. National Geographic app. Download it. Watch it. It's on Netflix. Is it on Netflix now? Yeah. Oh, I watched it on the National Geographic app. So I think that was the last documentary I saw, but that's not the one. I didn't even remember that. The one that I thought of, which was just prior, was a one called Beyond the Curve. It's about flat earthers. Um, you heard of that? Super it's interesting. It's not Logan Paul's new YouTube video, is it? Nope. 
No. Nope. It's also on Netflix. Wasn't Leaving Never- Neverland. Oh, that's the Michael Jackson one? <laughs> yeah. thought that would be yours. No, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> you seem like an MJ guy. <laughs> what is that? Like, like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like to have a good time. Oh, that's, All right. <laughs> that's what, M, that's what MJ, MJ guys do. They like to have a good time. That was quick. The fastest. That was in a great spin. <laughs> hey, it landed. Uh, hey, double zero. We've never had a double zero before. Well, do you even have a question that corresponds yeah, with double zero? I, this is uh, the first time it's ever been pulled out. The first time it's ever been pulled out. Uh, what is the one thing you love most about your job? Dude, that is the worst question. That's. Well, I'm glad it was double zero. It's not the worst question. You've had worse questions. I have, but. have had some pretty bad ones. Mm, that's tough. Someone else want to go first? That's tough. The, the greatest thing you... The love. one thing? Is that what you said? The one thing? The one thing you love most about your job. What is it? I, I will say this. My job g- gives me constantly opportunities to stretch myself and to grow like i met with challenges every day that i don't know how to solve that i don't know how to um uh that i've never faced before and so it really every is, day not every day oh. <laughs> constantly but yeah. frequently we'll say that yeah. frequently uh and so i'm constantly having to learn and evolve and, and grow okay that's definitely not my favorite thing about my job <laughs> i want to hear it uh, my favorite thing is, is the freedom. So work-life balance, like if, if, if I want to take my daughter to school one day, I can do that, you know? And if I need to, you know, get off work to go to a, a dance recital or something like that, I can do that. And, uh, so Vivint affords me the freedom to kind of allow me to build my family relationships as well as my, my work. I like that. So what like about you? Uh, I should, can, can you find at least one thing you like about dev mountain? Yeah. Well, it's not dev mountain specific. Um, but about the role that I do, I think I, I have, I very much have like shiny object syndrome syndrome. And I think as like a director of marketing or, I mean, many marketing positions, it's kind of cool that you have control over what you do It's like your job is different today than it was six months ago or three months ago. And so if you're sick of what you're doing, you just, create a new campaign, uh, take a new approach to stuff. And so that's really cool about it where you kind of have control over what you do. So if you're going to work and you're not loving what you're doing and, and you're in that marketing position, I feel like it's kind of your fault that you don't really like what you do specifically. You may not like the company you work for, but the role itself, if, if, if you're not enjoying that, was then, there a hidden message there? There's no hidden messages, no oh, hidden messages. You think it's over. What was that? You think it's overt, your sure. statement there? Sure. Okay. <laughs> That's my answer to that to that terrible question, apparently. Okay, we have time for one more quick one. All right, let's get this ball rolling. Uh, where is it? Oh, yeah, you have it over there. Fell on the ground. You nervous? You have a, you have a prediction of what number? Oh, too late. You already saw it. Number seven lands on seven a lot i don't know if you're keeping track if someone's keeping track at home like writing it down i'd be curious on what numbers are hitting up the most all right uh if you could be a fly on the wall for a c-suite meeting at any company what company would that be is this kind of the same question as like what's your favorite company not necessarily like I like Google a lot, but I have no interest in like listening in to their C-suite meeting. Are there so so basically this is kind of like what company do you invest the most money in? Well, I, I actually don't invest any money in any companies. <laughs> so um, I I would love to be a fly on the wall either at Coca-Cola or Apple, mostly because with Coca-Cola I'm interested in what kind of conversations do you have for a product that literally has not changed for decades now i mean granted they have acquired new brands and yeah. they now sell water and and all kinds of other crap but um i i would be not curious, a coke fan i would be curious to hear because <laughs> they have i i think one of the best marketing teams on the planet at least from the stuff that i've seen um and so i'd love to hear what what kind of creative ideas come out there and then with apple i'm just um i i am curious to see how a company like apple functions <laughs> 
Because I can just imagine a company like Apple being bogged down constantly by politics and red tape. So I yeah. would be really interested to see what they do. Yeah, I don't know if there's any brand on the planet more strict than the Apple brand. Yeah. I like it. You've asked this question before. I have. Uh, this is a different rendition. Oh, so... I, I added C-suite meeting. Uh, instead of what? What would it <laughs> I say? just said, like, at a company. Oh, so what uh, What company would you want to be a fly on the wall for? Uh, well, so I have two answers. And it's not necessarily even company-specific. Holy cow, dude. You just like... But I'll give specifics. But my answer is, for me, like, I'm most interested in what affects me, the like the most directly and that's the company I work at. Hmm. So in, in this case, I would love to be at a C-suite meeting of, I don't know whether you'd say Dev Mountain or strategic education, just because that would have the most impact for me. My second answer would be uh, my biggest competitor. I would love to be in on the C-suite meeting of, of whatever competitor I like that. that is. And so, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to, or if I can say like who that would be, I, we have a lot of competitors. I'm not sure like who the one company would be. Probably, nah, I don't want to give them the glory of, of being mentioned. So Is it Vivint? My, my, uh, uh, maybe. <laughs> Starts with the V, ends with the T. So I'll let you finish that. But yeah, uh, my company that I work for and then uh, my biggest competitor would be like the two I would, I would go back and forth on just so I can get a lot of good intel. How about you, Jacob? So Tesla? No, I would uh, I would want to be a fly on the wall for the company called Sisters of the Valley. <laughs> you ever heard of that company? I'm not. It's medical marijuana grown by nuns. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Is this legit? Yeah, it's legit. <laughs> and how do how do you know about this company? The Sisters of the Valley are a group of self-styled nuns who grow organic medical marijuana in in Merced, California, and it's real. The nuns who aren't affiliated with the Catholic or any other established church produce a range of CBD oil and salves. Huh. And are you an investor in this company? No, I wasn't actually listening to, to what you were saying. I was Googling <laughs> weirdest companies. <laughs> and because I saw I was, you searching some. Because I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, there are probably some companies out there that are just like so wild where they just have these ideas that are just so crazy. And I'm thinking, think about this. If you went to a board meeting or a C-suite meeting of the Sisters of the Valley what the heck are they talking about? <laughs> well, they're starting with a prayer. And are they taking their their own product while they, while they're while they're in there? Anyway, another answer would Sisters be Sisters of the Valley. Inspiration from our guest last week, which was the CEO of Fight the New Drug, uh, and then him, me not being aware that there's like news networks of the porn industry. But then I think of that question. It's like I wonder what a C-suite meeting looks like at like whatever the world's largest porn site is like. What do they talk about in those meetings and like how formal or informal are they? I don't know. Another thought that came to mind from, from last week. Probably not very question. formal. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. No, I don't know. They probably, yeah, it's probably, I don't know. <laughs> so just because we're on the topic of weird companies, uh, here's one called Herds for Hire, which is a, uh, a company that rents out yard clearing goats. <laughs> you want to go to that C-suite meeting? It's interesting. Uh, there's, a, there's a company called Ship Snow. Where you can purchase snow, I was and they'll, gonna and they'll say mail that. it to you. Yeah, I've yep. heard of that. Uh, ship foliage. So if you want, like leaves from someplace, shrubberies. Vitality Air sells bottled Rocky Mountain air. <laughs> That's straight from Spaceballs, isn't it? I don't know, but I mean, like you're you're talking about like what are they talking about in in the porn industry? They probably talk about porn, right? C-suite executives getting around. Hey guys, we've got some we've got some inventory here. We need to we need to push. How do we get this Rocky Mountain air out in the world? Uh, dirty rotten flowers. You can purchase decomposing bouquets uh, delivered straight to your door. For what? Compost. The perfect breakup revenge gift. Dirty rotten flowers <laughs> charges thirty three dollars per bouquet of decaying flowers. <laughs> Dude, we should do a whole episode on this. This is great. <laughs> you We're should. Spent, how would you market these yeah. brands? This would be a great show. That yeah, is good. 60 seconds to come up with a marketing strategy. And all you know is what the product is. What yeah. channels are you going to leverage the most? And 
Okay, so yeah. let's 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 give someone just a little taste of what an episode would look like. Say, okay, so I'm just gonna grab a random. <laughs> we're going a little over, a random uh, company on this list, and I'm gonna say, how do we market this? Okay. Here we go. Here we go. How long do we get? Thirty seconds. Sure. This this company is called Pict. P I C T. It's the world's first memory scented photo frame service. What is that? I don't so, understand. What I'll, that I'll read is. this. The new online framing service with a difference. Not only do uh, do the pick team frame your photo, they also imbue the frame with a suitable scent to trigger memories associated with the snap. Fragrances range from cut grass and baby powder to play doh and sea air. <laughs> uh, I would definitely, in terms of channels, I don't think anyone's searching this. Facebook. So I'm going all Facebook ads on this. Um, yeah, this people on Facebook would eat this up. I I, I would say I I would actually put put all my money into content here, and I would be creating content specific to the demographics that might want this stuff, like moms, like you know how to remember your kid's childhood or whatever. You know, I'd be creating tons of content pieces around this. I like it. This is actually I think in uh, actually I don't know where it is. There was one on here in London, but I don't think this is it. Okay. All right. Maybe that's a new segment. I'm going to put that I, man, in there, all these yeah. ideas, man. I'm just going to be like, okay, hey, here's <laughs> a five minute segment. I'm going to pick a random company with a random service that's super weird. And we're going to take five minutes to talk about a marketing campaign. Okay. That's all the time we have. Chris, dude, seriously, three years overdue on this Absolutely. episode. Let's not go another three years. Yeah, let's not do that. Okay. If you've enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a positive review on iTunes or any other podcasting platform that you're listening on. If you've got uh, ideas for topics or guests that you'd like to see on the show, reach out. Our email address is inbound at below the If you are a creator and have an idea for a podcast, feel free to reach out to the Stone Sheba, which is the podcasting studio in which we record. You can reach them at thestonesheba.com. And that's it. Until next week, we'll catch you below the fold. Bam. Nice work. This is great.